This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Chickity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. How the hell you doing, man? Chuck here. I am godless. <laughs> I threw you off there a little bit. Yeah. Uh, this is your weekly examination of all things metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast, man. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, wherever you get your damn podcast. Just search Metal Sucks Podcast and you will find it. And uh, that way you can get all of our podcasts as soon as we post them right to your inbox. Now, we sort of had a weird lie thing last week where we said we were off this week, but we were delayed. Never mind. We won't explain it. So we had a delay on our Ben Wyman podcast, but we're here this week, damn it. And, uh, you know, pretty much every week for the most part. So make sure you subscribe. That's an easy way. You can also go to MetalSlicks.net and click on the podcast tab at the top and you get all of them right there. So you can see the pretty pictures that go with them and all the links and all that. So you get our links to our uh, our social media. I'm at Bearded Ape. I am at Godless Speaks and Godless Speaks on Facebook and Spotify. You can find us on Instagram at Chuck and Godless. Also, ChuckandGodless.com. That'd be our Patreon if you would like to support us. We would appreciate your support. And thank you to everybody who already has. We're going to provide you some extra content and, you know, as much as we can. I think we got to. You can sp- log in on, uh, to, to, to the Patreon thing on your phone and download the episodes that way. It's not quite as easy as iTunes. But you get them early. And Can you? With the Bion Wyman oh. one, you get it super early. Yeah, if you if you so, were a Patreon subscriber, you got that like a week and a half early because we had yeah. it and then it had to go through a process and then thing and the stuff and the, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you got a special privilege that nobody else had, which was funny because if you follow our Twitters, we were talking back and forth to a few people about the Inflame song and a few other things that were on there, and most people that were following us had no idea what the hell we were talking about. So, yeah, privilege. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just got to say, like, all right, so if there were a hierarchy, right, of uh, of cool, cool-ass cool Metal Sucks podcast listeners, that at the top of the food chain are our Patreon supporters, of course. And then number two, if you can't do that, I mean, really, come on. But if you can't do that, then, like, those people who have posted reviews, given us stars on iTunes and stuff like yeah. that. Subscribers. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And then number three is the subscribers, because they're the... The silent masses, <laughs> but I guess you know. But then, as long as you like follow us on a social network or something like that, that's kind of cool, you know. But then, if you're just listening and you don't do jack shit beyond that, I still love you. Yeah, we love you because goddamn it, I'm the same way <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> but it'd be cool if you if everybody moved up just one level. Just move up one level on the on your on the hierarchy here, you know. Just just if you only subscribe, then you know maybe post a review. And if you've posted a review before, cool. But now you're just going to become a Patreon supporter. That would be awesome. That's all I'm saying. I say just as long as you listen to us. That's all I need. I'll give you a hug for that. That's actually the first level on Patreon. If you join, I I'll come and uh, give you a hug. You'll you, you'll love it. It's going to be fun. 
Uh, this episode, we've got a good one, man. We got Richard Christie on this episode, uh, and Aww. and dude, I mean, like, okay, so just to be honest and upfront about this, we chose not to do a whole bunch of talking about Howard Stern because you know, if you listen to the Howard Stern show, you know everything about Richard Christie because it's the Howard Stern show, so everything is kind of splayed out there for everybody anyway, right? So. We kind of went another route with this one, and I think uh, I think we chose wisely, especially after going back and checking it out and editing and all that stuff. I think we chose wisely. We got some really cool stuff and cool old school metal info for all you old school death fans. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that and you know, I'm I'm a diehard Stern fan, big time. So for yeah, me, it would do, it, that was hard. It was for really, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it wasn't that. It was just when all was said and done. I feel like after that conversation with Richard, Richard Christie, I have so much of a better idea of who he is from an angle that mm. you just don't get from the Stern Show. True. He, the Stern Show doesn't talk about. I mean, they they've had him play drums. They've had him talk a little bit about his band and stuff like that. But it's really, really. It kind of sounds like a hobby. You know, yeah. it's not like a, it's not like who he is. But in essence, if you go, if you dig down on it, it kind of is who he is, you know. So then that's really what's what's kind of interesting. I mean, he's obviously, you know, mega radio dude. But, you know, he's he's a damn influential drummer. He's done some amazing yeah. stuff. You know, whether you you can exclude Charles Walls from the damn, which is pretty damn good in and of itself. But, you know, the stuff he did with Death and his friendship with Chuck and all that stuff from then, you know, that's just uh, uh, whoa. So, yeah, we yeah. we dig down on a lot of that stuff. But I know it was tough for uh, Godless to not rip into a bunch of like hey so remember the time on stern you did that that, that was so cool it was so cool when you did that man yeah it was awesome so and uh, and also in this episode we're going to talk about uh, we're going to hear a new song from alcest which i love the new alcest it's amazing i can't pronounce the damn song on the on the album but it's, it's french oh it's a it's incredible but we are going to talk about juggalos <sighs> uh, to, uh, oh, I'm sort of afraid, but we're going to talk about Juggalos. It's going to be awesome. So you'll you'll enjoy that. That's coming up. But to, to stick in the same grain of uh, of sort of story uh, and follow well, up on something that we yeah, talked about with Ben Weinman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we came up during – they mentioned poop in your pants. Well, somebody tweeted about it, and I was like, okay, wait, wait, wait. We got to put – we got in, in this episode, we got to put this in context. Yeah, exactly. Because what happened was Ben had basically said that it's easier to poop your pants when you're at home than poop your pants while you're on the road, and that it's definitely true. And I can I can attest to that because I poop my pants about once a year. It's a, it's almost like clockwork, really. It's like there's always some sort of situation that happens that I end up pooping my pants. Is this like and an so, incontinence thing, like where you sneeze and you shit yourself, or is it like no, something else? Usually, it's just a case of I'm too IBS far away from. Yeah, it's just no. It's just I, I'm too far away from getting to a toilet when I really need it. You know, uh-huh. well, you know. Sometimes it well, just you, comes on you, quick. you actually you, you eat better than I do. I'm, I'm used to having the squirts all the time, so I you know I I know when I gotta go and I'm I've yeah. got to move. You know, so you eat <laughs> you eat well. You, those things come on. You you kind of misjudge it. Yeah, and I don't fart very often. And you know, the fart is like. You know, that's like the, the signal, you know, when you start farting, you know, <laughs> that's your butt. Yeah. That's your butt telling you, you know, hey, look, we're making some space here. We're going to push some stuff out and it's just air right now. Bad things you know, are happening down here. Yeah. Be aware in about 30 minutes you're going to have. Yep. Hey, this is coming. So usually when I get the farts, it's like it's moments before it's all coming, you know? <laughs> 
and and so anyway, so it, it was it was the worst thing. Because as I mentioned during our conversation with Ben, the, it just happened to me a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I I was at a job interview, and I pooped my pants like. So I'm walking to the job interview and, you know, everything's groovy. But just as I'm walking up to the building, I'm starting to get the the farts, which is usually it's like, okay, I can get to the the bathroom and I'll be all right. I get up into the building. I get in. I ask the front desk. And you mind if I borrow the key to the restroom? Yeah, no problem. So I go to the restroom and then I'm like, you know, I haven't farted in a while. I key think to I'm the good. restroom. Are you at a, are you interviewing like at a convenience store or something? I mean, what the hell? No, no, no. Is it, it's is like it on a, like a doorknob or something? No, it's like an office building with the, you know, where it's like locked door, you know, just like your place, you know, you got locked doors. Yeah. In yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, they get the little thing. You wave it. And yeah. No public. Gr- yeah. Okay. No public public yeah. restrooms. All right. All right. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. So, but I didn't think I had to go. I just needed to pee at that point because I hadn't been farting. So I I go to to just use the urinal and just as I start to pee, a little poo just popped out, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, you got. You know when it's my fit. I, yeah, you know, but this I is like for, 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 this. for you. That's like rabbit stuff. You know, I mean, it's, you eat enough fiber that it's not like. Uh, I mean, you know, somebody like me has an accident like that. That shits in my shoe in like two seconds. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not wearing shorts to my interview. <laughs> 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 but I'm like, I'm. But so it's like, you know, it's the worst thing because it's like I've I already like I'm nervous for the interview. I gotta like uh, I'm I'm wearing my lucky underwear. You know, I can, <laughs> they're I got, not that lucky. I, yeah, I guess. So. Yeah, apparently not. Yeah, I don't believe in luck anymore. But you know, I had, I had, I had put on the you know the cologne. You know, I'm making sure that it, everything goes well. Now I can't because now I got poop in my pants. <laughs> so I so I, I I'm glad that the bathroom is completely empty. I'm the only one in there. I kind of scurry my way into a stall, and then I you know. Uh, turn, take my pants down again and I pull it out oh, the, the 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 underwear is demolished so all right set that to the side i must have spent about half of a roll of toilet paper and thank god it wasn't one of those awful places with the like the one sheet at a time you know the oh yeah cheryl yeah, yeah. crow style toilet yeah, paper yeah, totally. oh yeah it was like a real roll so i was just you know, pulling that out and then making sure I don't like clog the toilet while I'm at it with just filled with toilet paper. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. And, just, and now I'm sweating, you know, the whole thing. And, oh God. And it's every time I wipe, they're still brown. It's still brown. It's still, oh God damn it. I can't get it all off. So I, I finally got it like relatively clean. I think I'm good. Put my pants on, throw out the underwear, but there's, it's early in the day, so there's nothing else in the trash can, so I can't, like, you know, bury it or anything. So, now, did these have, like, you know, uh, Yogi Bears or anything on them or anything, no. like, cute patterns, or were they, like, Marvel underwear or anything like that? So, no, but the first person who goes to throw something in the trash, they're going to look in the trash and go, that's underwear in there, and it smells bad. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, there's nothing you can do to hide that, you know, there's yeah. nowhere to go. Yeah, true. But you just put but more then, t- paper towels on top of it, man. See what, yeah, what you're what you're describing is like every day for being a fat dude right now. So you know it's just this kind of how we all live. So uh, yeah, when, when this is just kind of regular everyday sort of existence, you know the the, the fact oh. that like I've I've done that I have shit myself before as well, uh, but when that happens to guys like me. 
I'm not joking. You got to go home. Like there's yeah. no, there's no go. There's <laughs> like like you got to you got to take your fucking pants off, run to the car naked, and get your ass in the shower as fast as you possibly can. So do you keep an extra pair of pants at work? I do not. Uh, That's but a, might but be an idea. but I'm also very very uh conscience uh conscious of my uh my gastrointestinal uh like i'm aware of what's going on at all times you know like i know what's up like i eat a breakfast sandwich from whataburger and i know that i mean okay this has got t minus 45 minutes <laughs> and go and i come to work and i get i'm at work and there we go boom it's already it's like i know i we got it timed out like that so you know as, as my wife will tell you I'm a very insensitive guy. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on in my body at any. I mean, I've I've only ever like been sick, like so sick I couldn't like go to work or something one day my entire like professional career. And even that day, I look back on it and go, I could have gotten up and out of bed because like I I'm not paying attention to how I feel. Or I'm not paying any attention to what my body's doing. I, I swear to God, I'm gonna I'm one of those dudes that's gonna have like one of those baseball baseball sized you know tumor cancerous tumors oh, growing on his it. brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's me. I was just Whenever getting I hear that. I always hear that, and you hear what people are like. Oh my God, what was wrong with that guy? He should have known there was a freaking softball growing on the back of his head. And I'm like, Yeah, no, that that dude's me. That's that's how that I would roll. Yeah, yeah you caught like, dyslexia, what? you know, or like suddenly you can't read anymore. You're like, I don't understand what's going on. Oh well, it'll be okay. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I mean, I guess the real question is though: Is did you get the job? No, didn't. <laughs> Wah, yeah. wah, wah. You should have <laughs> just, the worst part you just taken the damn underwear and smeared it all over the desk. And said, Fuck you, <laughs> motherfuckers. Whatever. I'm you out. Know, you know how it is. Like you're prepping. Like you know. You got all these. Like you know. All the code words that they want to hear. No, I don't. Head. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the, I haven't. Well, dude, I got, I've been in the same job for almost twenty years now. So I have yeah. no idea. I don't know what that's yeah. like. So yeah, yeah that's no. that's what happens when you work in the same. I was t- I was actually looking at my resume the other day, going. How the fuck do I do this? I don't even know. Uh, nobody's going to believe that I worked in the same place for 18 years. There's no fucking way. And I love the way your CV is like a, it's a half sheet. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> I was like, well, when I look at relevant experience, like, okay, put down the jobs that you've had. And I'm like, well, that was fucking 20 years ago. I don't know yeah. that being a bartender 20 years ago makes that much difference in anybody's yeah. life right now. You know, I'm, I forgot how to make a fucking Moscow mule. You know, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm like, shit, I'm useless now at this point. Uh, I'll tell you what. Well, uh, too bad you didn't get the job. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Maybe. Well, you just need a new, another set of lucky underwear at this point. Yeah, Dublin listeners, I'm unemployed. <laughs> uh, good times. If All you're right. looking for a guy who poops his pants once a year. And makes jokes, in, it'll be great. Oh, come on. This is going to be wonderful. All right, let's get into our interview with Richard Christie right now. Awesome dude. You know him from the Howard Stern Show. Uh, new record with uh, Chardwall of the Damned is coming, and uh, you need to check it out. Dude, we'll play a song off of that here in just a little bit. Richard Christie on the Metal Sex Podcast. Richard, what's Hell up, dude? Yeah, it's uh, Chuck it and is. Godless from the Metal Sucks Podcast, man. How you doing? Good. How you guys doing? Ah, doing well, dude. Doing well. Good to hear you. Yeah, good to talk to you, man. Thank you so much. Sorry I'm a little hey. delayed. I've uh, 
talking to a, a Sweden Rock magazine. They were uh, just called me to do a quick interview. A Sweden Rock magazine, eh? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was, tell, uh, I was gushing about this member and all my favorite uh, Swedish bands. So. Sweet. <laughs> hey, Richard, like, all right, so you've hit the lottery twice, right? And it, was, it wasn't like it was lucky. You worked your ass off for both of these, but... I mean, millions of kids dreamed of becoming a member of death. Millions of people have dreamed of just showing up on Stern one time. You're a staff member. Like, what? what is it? Are you, do you work harder than anybody else? What is it that made this possible? Not once, but twice. Uh, yeah, well, you know what it was for me? It was a, a lot of sacrifice. I mean, I lived in a storage unit for a long time uh, just to practice drums and... Uh, and also, you know, as a fan of the Stern Show and, and would just, on a Friday night, rather than going out, come up with uh, silly bits and things like that. So it was just a lot of uh, lot of uh, eating microwave meals in a storage unit and sacrificing, you know, not, <laughs> not going out and having much of a social life all throughout my 20s, but I was doing it because I wanted to do something that I loved and... Uh, and yeah, there was definitely, you know, there was luck involved too. When I first moved to Florida, I got to meet Chuck at the mall at a, at a bookstore. And then through mutual friends, I started seeing him around at different metal parties and things like that. And, and so, but at the same time, when my band, uh, Burning Inside decided to move from Missouri to Florida, the first town I said, rather than Tampa, that we should move to is Orlando, and, and luckily our guitar player had a house in Orlando. So I was like, "Oh, we got to move to Orlando, not Tampa," because we were talking about Tampa as well. And I said, "Chuck lives in Orlando," and in the back of my mind, even though I was moving down there with the band I was already in, I was like, "Oh, if I could ever audition for Chuck, that would be a dream come true." So it was uh, a lot of lot of perseverance, a lot of uh, practice, and, and a lot of kind of being in the right place at the right time. Did you feel like you so, saw that destination? I mean, did, was it something that you dreamt about at that point, or was it just like... You mean like moving to Orlando? Yeah, or? like, did, I mean, did you say, I am going to go, and I'm going to join death, or I am going to go, and this is what I'm going to do? Did you have that vision in front of you and say, that's that's the destination? That was, that was just kind of in the back of my mind, thinking there was a small chance that I could ever get to audition for Chuck, but... Uh, it was mainly the fact that we had a band, this band burning inside and we were in Missouri. We had played all over the Midwest and we knew if we wanted to go to the next level, we needed to get to a place where the scene was a little better. And, uh, um, we knew that at the time in the early nineties that or in the mid nineties that Florida was a place to be, even though, you know, it wasn't as, uh, big of a scene as it was in the late 80s, early 90s, but, you know, 96 when we moved there, there's still a pretty good metal scene. So uh, we kind of just moved there thinking that we wanted to take our band Burning Inside to the next level and do some shows with bands like Deicide and, and you know, the, the bands that were playing around in Florida, Cannibal Corpse and bands like that. And But, yeah, somewhere far, far in the back of my mind, I was like, well, you know, another... Maybe part of the reason that's driving me to really want to move to Florida is the chance to join the, my favorite band, which was Death. You're bumping into Chuck at these parties and stuff. How did how did things evolve? And and did you become friends first? How did that evolve with uh, with Chuck? 
Um, yeah, we were friends. We I would I would see him every once in a while at these different parties and at shows and things like that. And I was always really nervous around him, so I don't know that we were. Uh, I mean, we were friends, but we weren't really close because I was kind of just like a fan, you know. And I, I might have freaked him out a little bit by asking <laughs> too many questions about death. But um, you know, we we had mutual friends. Uh, this band called Wicked Ways, and this guy Rick Rinstrom, and uh, the singer was BC Richards, and. They were just this awesome um, power metal band in Orlando, and Chuck would always go see them, and I would always go see them, too. So um, we became friends, and then when I found out that Chuck was looking for a drummer, uh, right away I, I started begging uh, Rick and BC from Wicked Ways to, to tell Chuck that I'd love to audition. And so, you know, thanks to those guys, Chuck gave me an audition, and... And it was funny, I had been practicing, all the songs we played in the audition are songs that I had been practicing to just as a fan for years and years, like songs from Human and Individual Thought Patterns and Symbolic. And uh, so when the audition happened, it was I was pretty prepared. And, you know, about probably five days after we had been jamming together, uh, Chuck told me I had the gig. And it was just like the first thing I did was call my parents and freak out. And uh, they were so happy for me. That's awesome. That's pretty crazy that your parents were that happy for you. <laughs> I know, yeah. They were always supportive. They always say that, um, I don't know how they did this, but they used to take naps while I practiced drums in the next room. <laughs> I don't, maybe, uh, I don't know if they could just kind of close it out of their, their mind, or, or maybe they they cranked up their Elvis albums or something, but it's funny. I remember them uh, sleeping, taking naps in the middle of the day when I was playing drums on the weekend because on Saturdays and Sundays when I didn't have school, I'd just kind of play drums all day. And uh, they were, like, super supportive. They bought me my first drum kit when I was 10 years old. It was an old Gretsch drum kit from a junkyard. It was literally out in this guy's yard, like, getting rained on and stuff, but... They uh, they bought it for me, and it did the job, and, uh, you know, they've always been really, really cool. I, I always, any album that I played on, I would always make sure they had a copy of it, and, uh, yeah, I, I was very, very lucky to have really supportive parents. All right, going back to these parties that you're bumping into <laughs> to Chuck School Dinner real quick. So, so like, all right, how do you get through that nerve that you've got, and then actually be funny and interesting and and less of a fanboy and be somebody that Chuck doesn't feel uncomfortable hanging out with. I, I need this as advice for myself, I think. Well, you know what it was is, and I've always told people, most of all, as much of a legend as Chuck is, um, he was also just a real down-to-earth, huge metal fan. And if you talk to him about metal, he was, so happy to talk to everybody about his favorite bands, and that was the thing. As as popular as he got, and as much of a, a metal icon as he became, he was basically still just a metal fan. And and any new album that would come out, I remember when the first Children of Bodom album came out, and Chuck was like freaking out on it. He loved it, and uh, he always kept up with the scene and was very supportive. And I remember, I think around 97 or 98 also, there was a Death Tribute album that came out, and I don't even know that it was 
uh, kind of uh, approved by Chuck, but I remember he got a copy and he was so excited to hear it and so excited to hear these other bands do his music. And so I kind of would just talk to him about metal and, and we became really good friends that way and, and he was always real down to earth and friendly and after every practice, especially on the weekends when I didn't have to work the next day because I still had a job as an electrician while I was uh, playing drums in depth, we would go to his house and he would cook for the whole band and we'd watch Saturday Night Live together and, and just listen to vinyl. And uh, Chuck and I really bonded over the band Watchtower. We were both huge Watchtower fans. Wow. And I don't think Chuck had met a lot of people that knew who Watchtower was. So when I told him I was a big fan, we you know instantly bonded over that. So it was pretty much just our, our love of metal and also... We kind of all love the, we both love the same comedy movies and we both had the same sense of humor. And I remember Chuck used to get such a kick out of these, uh, silly little homemade camcorder horror movies that I would do. I would do these horror comedy movies, which you can look up on YouTube. Uh, oh, I think if you, yeah. start, if you, like <laughs> Evil, Evil Ned 3 is one yeah. and then, uh, Leaving Grunion County is another comedy movie that I made just with my buddies on the weekends and, Chuck got such a kick out of those movies, and uh, so we bonded over that as well. And uh, you know, it was, it, he was just such an awesome, down-to-earth guy, and a and a huge metal fan, and, and had an awesome sense of humor. So uh, I was, you know, after a little while of hanging out with him, I was able to overcome being, you know, just the the huge fanboy death fan that I was, and, and you know, become really good friends with Chuck. So how difficult was it to transition to being his drummer? And how difficult was it when he's trying to dictate new death material to you that you haven't heard before, you haven't had a chance to replicate? Um, you know, Chuck was always so open to everybody's ideas. And I remember it really wasn't difficult at all because it's, with the old material, I, I knew it really well. And I, stuck, I was pretty faithful to what uh, Sean Reinert and, and Chuck had done, and, and also the drummers on the earlier albums, um, because I always looked up to those guys. And, and uh, when it came to the new, the new material, the new stuff, um, Chuck would just kind of play the riff, and, and uh, he would either say, you know, do maybe do something a little more straightforward, or just go crazy on on certain riffs. I remember on uh, Scavenger's Human Sorrow, he just said do something really insane at the beginning of this song. And I just worked for a few minutes during a practice to come up with something nutty and that went along with that opening riff, and he loved it. He was always uh, very diplomatic as far as letting everybody come in with their, their own ideas. And, uh, um, you know, and from listening to his band for so long, I, I kind of knew what he was looking for, just from being a fan of of Gene's drumming and, and Sean Reiner, and, you know, I kind of knew what he was looking for as far as the drumming style for the band, and um, luckily I was pretty prepared as far as all that goes. And I just remember having a lot of fun coming up with, uh, you know, when we were writing the songs and, and just being so excited to get in the studio and record them. And from the time I joined Death, so we recorded the first album went in the studio we had about I, I think about 10 months of playing the songs almost every day so once we went in the studio we were just 
we were so tight and so so ready. That's a that's that's pretty incredible. I mean, when you think about it, because when you go back through the the you know the hall of badass death metal drummers and you talk about gene hoagland and you talk about <laughs> sean reiner you go wait a minute these are some of the best guys to be able to follow that in the way that you did you know that's that's pretty incredible to have that kind of confidence oh thank you so much yeah i mean it it really was very very intimidating because to be in a band after gene hoagland i mean he's pretty much you know the one of the greatest drummers of all time and he's one of my drumming idols. I've always looked up to Gene ever since Dark Angel. It was especially intimidating going out on tour because I could tell there were people out in the audience watching to wait and see if what I did on the album lived up to playing live. And, uh, you know, luckily, like I said earlier, my life back then was pretty much, you know, I'd work eight, eight hours a day as an electrician, go home, practice by myself for about three hours then practice with the band for about three hours and so by the time we got out on tour i was i was ready and i felt i I had kind of earned that spot and uh but yeah it was very very intimidating playing in a band that two of my all-time favorite drummers had played in before me and that you know but that's why i worked so hard at it is i wanted to live up to to their legacy and, and and to continue that uh, legacy of, of these amazing drummers. Uh, and from an audience perspective, as far as the visual is concerned, there couldn't be any uh, two different people than you and Gene Hoagland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> back to back. <laughs> well, Gene sits really high, and you can see him really well uh, when he plays, too, which is awesome. I love the, uh, you know, the, the visual aspect of that. And when I saw Cynic in 93 open up for Sinister and Cannibal Corpse, my old band at the time, Public Assassin, we got to open up uh, one of the shows on that tour. And I remember uh, Sean Reiner was sitting sideways, so you could see everything he was doing, which was really cool. So I I don't know that... Uh, I hope I lived up visually to, to Sean and Gene, <laughs> but uh, it was probably a little harder to see me because I sit pretty low, and, and the drum kit that I used on the death uh, tours that we did was this pearl custom z drum kit that gene actually recorded individual thought patterns with at morris sound and, and it was chuck's drum set and they had these super deep rack toms like bobby blotzer type rack toms that i kind of had to reach up to play because i'm not as, as tall as gene uh so i was probably a little bit hidden behind the drum kit like pico mcbrain but uh <laughs> if you watch like if you watch uh, the the DVD live in LA with Death, you just kind of see my arms a little bit back. Because <laughs> Gene, yeah, Gene always looked like he was beating the shit, like they're making those drums submit. <laughs> like oh, totally, totally, yeah. Gene is you know he's commanding the drums, whereas sometimes it looks like the drums are commanding me because I'm not I'm a little <laughs> smaller than Gene, but uh, you know, I, it, for me it was. As long as I had a good sound and uh, you know, and was really warmed up, I'd make sure I'd warm up for like at least an hour or so before the show. I just wanted to sound really good, and uh, you know, I never got to do the spinning drum kit like Tommy Lee, but hopefully, I was fun to watch <laughs> visually. There's still time. There's still time. Yeah, Don't exactly. Worry. You know, chart walls, of the, chart walls of the dam. You do the small club tour with the spinning drum kit. It'll be all good, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he just. Took it up to another level with that drum roller coaster. I saw them on tour 
last year, and I'm like, man, he is just next thing. If Molly Crew, which they're not supposed to be doing any more tours, but if they ever do, uh, like, what is he going to do now? Shoot his drums on a rocket or something, and you know, <laughs> like fly out of the arena? I don't know uh, how much further he can take it. But it was pretty awesome seeing him do that that roller coaster. Yeah, until he got stuck that one time. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, he didn't get luckily. He didn't get stuck when I saw him, but. Uh, He's got a he's got a lot more uh, he's a lot braver than I am. It, I I don't like heights, so I don't know that I would have been able to be up at the top of the arena like that. Maybe uh, no maybe kidding. I'll do a maybe I'll do a like a drum scrambler, like you know that ride the scrambler at the county fair <laughs> where it just spins around but stays on the ground. Maybe I'll do that out in the middle of the crowd. It's <laughs> I think. And that should be the death to all tour. With the, the, you got the seven different drummers on the scramble, and just depending on what oh, song is, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and like we, you know, as you fly by another drummer, you hit their cymbal or you, yeah. you trade sticks or something. Each album is a different is a different turn. You just <laughs> twist and turns every time. Yeah, I like it. Oh, so, Richard, awesome. was your work ethic something that clicked with Chuck more than other musicians that you worked with over the years? Uh, well, you know, I've been lucky enough to pretty much every musician, musician I've ever played with had a, a real strong work ethic. And Chuck, I know Chuck definitely loved it, the fact that I was willing to, to practice every day with him. And whenever, you know, I was always on call. Whenever he felt like practicing, I was there. And, you know, that was thanks to also me being in my 20s and, and just focusing on nothing but music. Uh, I mean, I still had to have my day job, but I made sure even then, uh, when I was an electrician, I had, I had been asked by my boss a few times to take my journeyman's test so I could start running jobs. I was like, no, nah, I gotta go right to practice. I can't be coming home with blueprints or anything like that. So, uh, you know, I was just very focused and, and, and yeah, I think Chuck really appreciated that. And I would even show up when we didn't have practice cause I didn't have a cell phone or anything. I had, no way to, that anybody could get a hold of me. I finally had to get a pager back in the 90s because I, I was pretty low tech. But uh, after showing up for a bunch of practices that we had to reschedule, Chuck was like, oh, maybe you get a pager. and You don't have to haul all your drums over here. Because I used to, uh, I was oh. playing with the band Burning Inside at the same time as Death. And so I would have to, uh, sometimes I would have practice with both bands in one night and I'd have to, tear down and set up my drum kit twice. Ugh. And it was like a, a nine-piece pearl drum set with a rack. So it, it was about an hour setup. You know, finally I got a pager, so, <laughs> so one of the bands could let me know if right. uh, we were postponing practice. But, uh, yeah, we definitely we practiced a lot back then. And uh, I, I loved it, though. It, was, it would never seem like practice to me. It was always fun. Why is it that Chuck went through so many musicians over the years? Why is it that you were drummer number seven? It seemed like you were going to be the one for the rest of time. Yeah, I can't really say just because I wasn't around when he was uh, when a lot of the musicians were were coming and going. Um, you know, our lineup was pretty stable. I mean, if I just if I had to guess, I, a lot of it is I think living in different parts of the country. You know, especially back then, I think it was a little harder for musicians to be able to travel and and, and kind of get together. And, you know, it's a very deba- demanding style of music as well. So um, that could have been it. Uh, I, I can't really say just because I wasn't there when he was going through a lot of the different musicians, but 
I think one of the things that really helped, and I remember him saying that he was happy that that Shannon and Scott and I all lived in Central Florida, and that made it, uh, you know, that made it a little easier. I think um, the fact that we could, you know, at a, on a Saturday morning, if Chuck wanted to practice in the afternoon, he could just call everybody up, and we could uh, we could practice rather than having to kind of schedule a time slot for. Uh, somebody practicing from, you know, flying in from another part of the country for rehearsals. So I think it really, really made Chuck happy that we were able to rehearse so much and be so prepared when we recorded The Sound of Perseverance. Well, you got to figure, too, that there is, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, there's a big difference between, you know, 21 and 27. <laughs> 20, you yeah. know, there's, there's quite a, you know, you do a lot of growing in that period of time, especially when you're when you're playing that much with so many different people. Yeah. Or in my case, you can lose a lot of hair in that time. <laughs> <laughs> I started going bald by the time I was 27. But, uh, yeah, you know, it is a big difference. And, the, and now, you know, even for me when I turned 30, that was a big change for me, and you know now I have indoor plumbing and all that good stuff. I can <laughs> I can take a shower inside, so that's I've definitely matured a lot. But uh, yeah, I mean I, it was the right time of my life. It was the perfect time for me to join the band because I was in my early twenties, and uh, you know that was my focus was just uh, playing drums. And and I'm so lucky too that. At the time, I got to travel a lot and got to see a lot of the world. I, uh, to me, it was kind of like a paid vacation, uh, getting to, to play drums for my favorite band, but also getting to go to places like Athens, Greece, and Santiago, Chile, and um, you know Copenhagen, Denmark, and get to play the Dynamo Festival in Holland. It was just really incredible to get to experience all that. And you know, I still try to travel a little bit, but being able to see that much of the world when I was in my 20s, uh, I, I feel very, very fortunate. Is Dynamo the, the memory that you most think of when you think about those time, th- those years? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, that was it. I remember Chuck telling us in January of 98 that we were going to play the Dynamo Festival and that we were going to be playing right before Pantera, and we were all freaking out when none of us uh, Shannon or Scott or myself had been out of the country before and let alone to go play the biggest at the time, I think it was the biggest music or metal festival in Europe and it was like our, I think our fourth show together we had played a couple warm-up shows I remember we played, I'm pretty sure in Copenhagen, Denmark and maybe one or two other shows in Germany and then played Dynamo and it was terrifying but at the same time, just incredible because we played right before Pantera and Phil Anselmo was sitting right behind my drums like air drumming the whole time and I remember freaking out on that and that added another level of uh, nervousness for me not only were 40,000 people in the crowd watching me uh, play drums and, and you know waiting to see the new you know new guys in depth and how they did and then here's Phil Anselmo behind me air drumming uh, so it was uh it was a lot of pressure, but it was, it was incredible. Once I got up there, I just, it felt amazing. I thought we sounded great, and I'm, we're so lucky, too. I feel so fortunate that they they have that show on video, and you can actually see it if you go on YouTube, the yeah. yeah. uh, 98 Dynamo Festival. And, I, and that was the weekend I got to meet Gene Hoagland. I got to meet 
I remember some of the guys from Emperor were there walking around, and like Samos, I think that's how you pronounce his name, was yeah. walking around. I was like, holy crap, that's the guy from Emperor. <laughs> and just I remember <laughs> freaking out, and I got to watch a lot of European bands that never toured in America at the time, like Stradivarius and uh, Hammerfall. It was really cool. So, uh, yeah, that, that definitely sticks out. Plus, after the gig, I got to hang out with Dimebag Daryl and Rex and drink some Seagram 7 with, with them. And I remember they had a, a roadie that was from Kansas, and I remember freaking out, wow, but there's two guys from Kansas, you know, hanging out in Holland and, <laughs> and partying with Dimebag and, and, uh, and Rex. And it was just, it was really... It was really amazing. Yeah, what are the fucking odds? That's crazy. That's awesome. I would figure yeah. that, like, there's a lot of ways in which you're validated as a drummer for death, but the biggest validation's got to be when Chuck comes to you and says, I'm going to do a, something different, I want you to do it with me. Yeah, uh, I mean, definitely. That uh, It felt like all those years and years of practicing and just sitting in my bedroom and sitting in the storage unit practicing to death albums had definitely paid off and and you know chuck had played with the best musicians in metal and for him to think that i was good enough to be in death that was just it definitely was validating and uh you know but, but then the to be time, in control denied yeah and and control denied and yeah and to bring me into control denied as well it was uh, it was an honor, and I was so excited. I had been hearing about Control Denied since I think around '95 when Chuck first started talking about it. And, and I'm a huge fan of Tim Amar's vocals, and, and to get to, to to play in a band with him as well, it was uh, yeah, it was incredible. You know, and 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 Chuck, I think uh, Chuck loved too the the fact that he could kind of concentrate on his guitar and have somebody else doing the vocals and uh you know i could just tell he was having so much fun playing in that band so what is the timeline between the first uh, uh, control denied recording and then when you went back to do the second recordings and then uh when chuck was diagnosed well um if i remember right we started recording the first control denied album in early 1999 and I remember I was able to take a month off my my electrician job. They were really cool, and they let me take a month off so that Chuck and I could just rehearse at his house every day. At the time, he had a really cool home studio. And so we just spent a month rehearsing together, and I would just go over to Chuck's house and pretty much stay all day, every day for a month. And then uh, Chuck, or I mean Shannon and Scott would come over at night, and we'd have full band rehearsals. And then uh, we recorded in February of 99 the drums and everything else. And then Chuck was uh, diagnosed in the summer of 99, if I remember right. And then he, he started getting a little better, uh, and we were able to rehearse for the second album in summer of 2000. And... Uh, and then I, I, I think I went to record the drums in late 2000 for the second album. You know, if I, I'd have to look to make sure that, that my timing's all right, but I, I think that's about the timeline for it. So what was, how did he tell you, did, were there any signs before he got his diagnosis of that something was up? I remember he was having 
I think some issues with his neck, and I think he maybe thought it was a pinched nerve or something, but uh, it was a total shock to me. I remember he called me on the phone to tell me. I just I couldn't talk for like a minute. I didn't know what to say. And when somebody tells you that they have cancer, it's like you don't know. You don't even know what to say. There's not really nothing you can say to kind of make them, you know, that's going to make them feel any better. And it's just such a scary thing to know that, your best friend is going through something like that. So I was just in total shock. And then I didn't really kind of know what to say. I just wanted, you know, I let him know that whatever he needs, I'm there for him. And that, you know, I told him, you know, once he gets better, we'll get right back to playing metal. And, you know, it was just, yeah, it's such a shock. It's thinking about it to this day. It's still, I can't believe that that happened. And, uh, you know, it's just an awful, awful thing to see your best friend having to go through something like that. Yeah, especially that young. Yeah, totally. He was only 34. And, uh, you know, it's just, oh, man. It, it, yeah, I, I even have a hard time talking about it now. It's, uh, yeah, he he had a, he lived a lot of life in those 34 years and, and gave us a lot of uh, great music that's going to be around. You know, he lives on in his music. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. And just in 34 years, he did so much. I, I got to say, like, I was very kind of nervous about Death to All before I saw it the first time. And then to see it, and then there was the break where they showed the old footage, you know, of of, uh, of you guys and 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 Shock hanging out back in the day, and I I I thought I was going to fall apart there in the crowd. I'm like, what what fucking death metal show is this? I'm about to cry. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I felt the same way when I the first tour that they did. I I got to jam a few songs with them, and then I watched the show as well. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a beautiful tribute to Chuck, and and just to see that that many fans are still coming out to celebrate Chuck's music is so inspiring and you know I love that they're doing that and you know I'm glad that the family has given their blessing for it and uh, yeah it just shows you when you hear all that music and you see the, the, you know, the video tribute, tribute to Chuck it's like man this guy just inspired so many people and uh, and it, even especially with his lyrics too people were so moved by his lyrics and his lyrics were so personal and yet everybody could relate to them and people took a lot of different meanings from his lyrics and i remember one really cool thing that happened while i was in the band was one day and randomly in the mail chuck got this book of his lyrics that was translated into arabic and he found out that it was a fan from iran who had translated all of his lyrics into arabic and, and it was in libraries in iran Wow. And Chuck was just so honored by that that somebody took the time to do that and that his lyrics inspired some somebody that much to do that. I think the first time I saw Death to All, it was crazy because, you know, you sitting next to her or standing next to somebody who's like 20. And, and they're like, so who's this guy again? And it was great to know that, okay, if they didn't know, they know now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even... Um, the show in New York City, I think the guy that sang on one or two of the songs that that I was lucky enough to jam on was from South America, and I think he was in his early 20s even. And uh, 
it was just so cool. I, uh, once in a while, I'll see online that there's tribute bands, death tribute bands in South America, and everybody looks so young. And it's just so cool that the music is still reaching uh, younger people. And I think a lot of it, too, is that, you know, people my age and a lot of people that grew up on death have kids now, and they've, they've raised them the right way and raised them on metal. So <laughs> it, it, it's good that uh, the metal torch is being passed on to the younger generation. Right on, right on. Well, well, Chuck, Chuck had just, you know, he spent so much of his artistic career sort of reflecting on mortality. Do you think that he had a different perspective when it was staring him in the face from what we've seen from his lyrics and his art? You know, that's hard to say. I, I kind of, when Chuck was going through everything, I don't think we talked about it that much just because, I wanted, when I was around Chuck, I wanted to kind of see if in some way I could help keep his mind off what he was going through. And, you know, we would mostly just talk about, you know, new music we were working on and bands. Like, I remember the uh, Nevermore's uh, Dead Heart and a Dead World had come out in 2000, uh, and Chuck and I were both freaking out on that. So we would just kind of listen to music like that together and, but yeah, I know a lot of people have said that a lot of his lyrics were kind of, I guess, prophetic or, or kind of were talking about the the subjects that that you know dealt with what he ended up going through. And uh, but yeah, I'm not I, I'm not really sure about as far as his perspective when when he was going through all that because I was just trying to. You know, we were trying keep his to mind off it. Yeah. get through it and keep his mind off of it, totally, yeah. totally. Have you stayed in touch with his family? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I talk to his sister Beth all the time, and his nephew Christopher is doing really well. I talk to him all the time. And Jane, his mom, I talk to every once in a while. And, uh, yeah, they're just awesome people. You know, they were kind of like my second family when I lived in Orlando, uh, around the holidays, if I couldn't go back home to see my family in Kansas, I would always spend, you know, I'd spend Thanksgiving with Chuck and his family. And every time we'd go on tour, we'd go over to his house early and, and have a nice, you know, like a big family lunch or dinner and and, and all hang out because they knew Chuck was going to be gone for a month and they were really going to miss him. And so, yeah, I've definitely kept in, ch- in touch with uh, Chuck's family. I feel like they're you know, in a way, my second family, because they, they helped me out a lot, too, when I moved down to Orlando, and I didn't really have any family down there. So, all right, so we probably should fast forward to uh, <laughs> to, to now. Uh, Charred Walls of the Damned is, you know, obviously what you're uh, what, what you're working on now. You get the new record, uh, Creatures Watching Over the Dead is the new one. Why, five years between albums? What's going on? You got a producer in your band. Um, <laughs> what, what, uh, why, why, did t- why, why it taking so long to get an album out from you guys? <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's a lot of our our schedules are pretty crazy. A lot of times the schedules don't line up. If I'm available, um, Jason's working on an album with like you know somebody else, or or Tim's on on tour over in Russia or Europe or somewhere, or Steve Giorgio's on tour with Festman or uh, Death to All. So we kind of just had to wait for the stars align. And also, I I kind of wanted to try something a little different. I'd always heard about bands that had written a ton of songs that they could pick through and find the best ones for their albums. And I never really had that 
luxury of having enough time to be able to do that, uh, I would always, you know, with Charred Walls of the Dam, the first two albums, I just wrote exactly the amount of music that we needed for the albums. And uh, I kind of wanted to just take take some more time, really write a bunch of, I think I wrote about 24 songs, and just have Jason, uh, who's, you know, he produced the album, kind of go through and and pick the, his favorite songs and the ones that he thought were best. And so, yeah, we just took a little bit more time because the second album came out right after the first. And I don't even know, I think the second album came out a little too soon, I think, because I don't know that a lot of people even knew that we had a new album out when the second one came out. So uh, I think that, you know, the, the timing for this third album is good because now people definitely know it's a new album than than what we had out five years ago so uh and it's left hopefully people wanting wanting some more and then maybe some people are surprised they're like wow they're they're back around that's cool so um you know it was mostly just wanting to take a lot of time and make the album really really good yeah i mean i gotta There's imagine a- those schedules are crazy it's bad enough <laughs> yeah. when somebody else is in another one other band but everybody else is doing something else oh i know i think uh I think Tim's got a, <laughs> Tim's got a bunch of bands, and Steve's always busy playing bass, and Jason is just one of the most in-demand producers now. Oh yeah, and, uh, his, his studio is is you know it's kind of like the new Morris Sound down in Florida. So uh, yeah, just I and myself too. I, I I have to wait until I have like some vacation time to go in the studio and. Uh, I had some other things going on musically as well. I got to do. I'm a big. I consider myself a Halloweenian. I'm like a Halloween freak. I love uh, horror movies and anything Halloween. And I've gotten to uh, write the music for this really cool event the last few Halloweens in Westchester, New York, where I write, I get to write John Carpenter type synth the music for this uh, thing called the Great Jack O' Lantern Blaze, where. You walk through about 5,000 lit jack-o'-lanterns, and they have different scenes, and I wrote about, I don't know, probably about, I'd say 40 or 50 different pieces of music for each year of that, so I've been pretty busy with that as well the last few years, and, you know, so I've gotten to to stay pretty busy. Oh, and I also wrote a, uh, I got to write a cartoon with Titmouse Animation called Majestic Loincloth, and, uh. You know, I spent a little while writing the music. Actually, Jason Sukoff and I both wrote the music for that. So that took about a year, I would say. So, uh, you know, between all that, it's, it's been a pretty busy five years, even though it, it took us this long to get another Charred Walls of the Damned album out. Well, I kind of figured you weren't, you know, slacking off or anything. You know, <laughs> you got a couple irons in the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been trying to stay busy. And I even... You know, that whole time I was just writing riffs, and uh, even now that this album's getting ready to come come out, I'm still thinking forward to the next one and and working on new music. So I got to figure that there's there's got to be like more than a dozen uh, metal festivals nowadays in Europe that are bigger than Dynamo was in '98. So uh, how difficult is it going to be to get Charred Walls of the Damned on one of those stages next summer? Oh, that would be a dream come true. I would love to do that. Um, you know, one that I really, really want to do that uh, Brian Slagle keeps telling me about it. He went there this year as Hellfest in France, and it would be a dream come true to be able to play that because I think last year the lineup was like King Diamond, Amon Amar, 
I think Anthrax played. It was like every big, amazing metal band played there. And uh, and there's tons of every country over there now has an amazing festival. So, And here in the States, too, we got to play Orion Festival with Metallica. Uh, that was the last show we got to do, and that was a dream come true. And Lars even introduced us, which I was, like, flipping out on. It was awesome. <laughs> so I'm hoping, you know, that that's... That seems to be probably the best chance for us to get out to play live um, is doing festivals just because of our, our schedules. Uh, we can't really go out for a month straight and do some shows, I'll, you know, as much as I would love to. Um, just with with all our schedules and, and everybody being so busy, uh, I'm really hoping we get to do some festivals. So does that? Um, do you feel like that holds you back? Some not being able to do that kind of touring and not being able to do that kind of support for a new record like this? It it probably does. I mean, uh, I would love to be able to do that, but, you know, at least I feel so fortunate that we're able to at least make albums and, and get some music out there, and then we'll worry about the shows and stuff later. I mean, we kind of really want to concentrate on just making an amazing album. Uh, I would love to, to be able to to go out and just do the, the, the do those long tours um but you know at this point as long as, if we could just do some festival shows and uh and play live somewhat i would love to yeah um, you should just you uh know. franchise it and just get some young band to like that sounds just like you know <laughs> you teach them how to play just like you and they go out on tour and you guys sit back at, in your at home and write music and record it Maybe we could even do uh, mini charred walls of the damn like mini <laughs> kids, where, where, where it's all dwarfs go out and tour charred walls of the damn. Dude, I'd like to see the mini version of Jason. How? Uh, what, what size would that be? <laughs> wow! Oh, that would be awesome. He, 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 Jason is such a character. I, I don't know if you've seen videos of him or oh, interviews yeah. or anything, but he's a he's a huge personality. That guy, uh, and he does. He does some of the best impressions of, of death metal singers, and uh, that guy freaking makes me laugh so hard. And I know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he would have a blast looking for a mini version of him. <laughs> you know, I, but he uh, he's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, people out there, every band that's recorded with him, I'm sure knows what a character he is and how much fun he is to work with. And uh, same with Tim. You know, Tim and Steve are, are such a blast to work with. And I would love for us to go on tour and do some shows together. Cause they're just fun guys to be around, you know, and, and getting to, to do some shows would be a bonus, but I love just hanging out with those guys as well. That's good. I mean, that's a, you know, <laughs> step one. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too, you know, we're a little bit older now. And it's like at our age, there's really no, no room for drama. And we're kind of about the most drama free uh, band you can get. We're just like, oh, let's just get together and, play some metal and have fun <laughs> yeah right yeah we just don't have time for that crap anymore yeah totally i think i've listened to just about every minute of the stern show for the last 20 odd years and it it feels com- I, I, like such a lost opportunity to not be like barraging you with questions regarding your other job but <laughs> I, I will have to save that for another time i'm sure but you know it, it, just uh, just so you know i mean like when I heard on the radio that, that Chuck had passed away, I pulled the car off the side of the road and had myself a nice little cry. 
and mm-hmm. I'm just begging you to be healthy because I, I I can't imagine how much losing you would affect me compared to the way it, 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 it losing Chuck did. So please stay healthy and remain awesome and funny. And thank you for everything you've contributed to us. It's, uh, it's so been sweet awesome. for you guys. That's so sweet for you to say. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. And, uh, you know, thanks to my awesome wife. She definitely keeps me healthy. I, uh, she got me into running. So I've been running. I try to run about, I don't know, seven or eight miles a day. And, uh, it's definitely helped with my drumming as well. I lost about 50 pounds five years ago, and uh, when we played, recorded our second album, I just felt like a brand new person when I was drumming, and uh, same with this this new album, I just felt so great drumming, and even when I was down in the studio with Jason, I was running a lot, and um, so yeah. Don't run in traffic, though, okay? No, that's the only thing, you know, running in New York, it's... uh, it can be a little dodgy at times. Yeah. But, you know, I run, uh, I live in Queens, so I'm running Queens and Brooklyn all the time. And uh, that's one thing. I'm always kind of keeping an eye out for traffic. But uh, that's part of living in New York. And, you know, I'm a member of the New York Roadrunners, uh, the running uh, organization. They do a lot of races and things like that. So, yeah, I'm trying to uh, try and stay as healthy as I can. You know, I I definitely enjoy a, a few beers. Uh, <laughs> Uh, now and then, but uh, I try to make sure I have a good run before. Well, thank you, man, and uh, and congrats on the new record, man. Creatures watching over the dead, the new charred walls of the dam. Richard Christie on the Metal Six Podcast. Thanks, dude. Thank, thank you, you guys much, so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Control 
subscribe to the Metal Sucks Podcast today.
warning to viewers, some of the details in this story are disturbing. 24-year-old Jonathan Schrapp of Swamico is charged with mayhem and reckless injury for the incident that happened at his house. Schrapp is a member of the Juggalo, the name of the band Insane Clown Posse gives to its followers. <laughs> Prosecutors say he and his friends were staging a ritualistic memorial for a fellow Juggalo who died last year. In tonight's top story, Andrea Hay explains the ritual outlined in new court documents that got him arrested. Police say that Trap, his friend Nick Labs, a local rapper who goes by the name Bloody Ruckus, and 27-year-old Shelby Newins were talking about blood-drinking cult rituals on the morning of Saturday, August 27th. Newins told police she offered to let someone cut her arm and drink her blood. She tells police Trap used a machete to make a deep cut in her arm. Then he filled a shot glass with her blood and drank it. Later, someone brought up the idea to cut off someone's finger. Newins, who says she was not using drugs or alcohol when this happened, told them to chop off her pinky. She tells investigators Shrap took a machete and chopped off her pinky clean all the way up to her palm. She was bleeding profusely. Newins says Shrap put the finger in the freezer and said he would cook and eat it later. Yum. The group attempted to cauterize the wound with a blowtorch, but it only caused more pain. <laughs> later that night, Newins went to her boyfriend's house and showed him the injuries. His mom heard the story and made Newins go to the emergency room. Staff at St. Mary's Hospital called police, believing she'd taken part in a cult initiation. Police say that Newins was agitated. She said she didn't want anyone to be charged because this ritual was voluntary. Oh, dude, <laughs> that's, 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 that's so terrible. Uh, first off, I think News 2 needs to get new microphones because, God damn it, that audio is awful. Uh, but, uh, okay, Juggalos, um, I think if nothing else, what is great about this story more than anything is that you got news people to say insane clown posse. And the, I love hearing <laughs> news guys try to say shit like this. It's awesome. Juggalo. Juggalo. Uh, a juggalo. <laughs> fan of it. Uh, but, dude, so cutting off people's fingers for ICP. I admire these people. I, and I, yeah. I, it, I totally admire these people. These people are freaking committed. I mean, everybody who, who, who's like, oh, my God, I go to every show. And they, I love that band so much. You don't really love that band until you're willing to have somebody chop off part of your body for that band. Freaking ICP are one of the rare bands in this world that get such devotion. I mean, how many times have you seen people carve Slayer into yeah. their flesh yeah. and everybody goes, that's ah, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But getting your finger chopped off for the band, that's way cool. I mean, put that on the cover of the next album. But you know? dude, dude, I mean, like, <laughs> I just love it because, well, we decided to do this, and then at some point they decided to cut somebody's finger off. It just, I like, it came up in conversation all of a sudden. Let's chop <laughs> yeah. off somebody's finger. I want to um, hang out with these people. That's yeah. all I'm saying. I mean, I mean, I, I, my conversations consist of like, you know, how's Bitcoin's pricing <laughs> been doing lately? You know, <laughs> I want to hang out with these people. These people sound like fun. Well, and they, they sound like the kind of fun where it's not just like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool? It's like when somebody says, wouldn't it be cool? No matter what they say next, it's is, possible. That's awesome. I don't know, man. There are plenty of times where I've said, Hey, it's one of those, Hey, man, watch this. Yeah. No, yeah. nothing good happens after you say that no, nothing nothing good happens 
after you and say it that. It happened in the morning, and they said they were sober. That's pretty kick-ass. Oh, that's bullshit. There's no way they were sober. There's no fucking way. I mean, because since when? I mean, when? I, I can't even imagine like being sober and saying, I think we should cut off an appendage of some kind. That's a great idea. Mm, no. I mean, cutting yourself, drinking the blood, whatever, you know, okay, all right, I get... Yeah, I'll watch one of these MMA fights, you know, UFC or something, and, like, a dude will have, like, his entire leg split in half, you know, and yeah. and, and, and he won't notice, you know, he'll get an arm bar, and his arm gets snapped in half, and the guy's like, he's got so much adrenaline that he's like, I don't even notice, you know, uh, that that's, I've seen that with, like, broken toes and everything, that's probably what happened here, she gets, you know, carved, her arm carved up, and the adrenaline is going, Having a good time now. Do it, hey, cut I it got off. another do idea. It, do it, do it, do it, do it, do yeah. it, do it. Uh, hey, man, sometimes you got to hurt to feel. That's the that's the whole point here is that you, you got to hurt to feel. I don't I just don't think the guy should have been arrested. I think that's like the no. worst part of this whole thing is that, you I know, agree. no matter what, there was no reason to arrest, arrest this guy for mayhem and reckless injury. It's like, well, she offered up her fucking pinky. Take her yep. fucking pinky. I mean, who gives, yeah. you know, if somebody offers me a pinky. I'll take a fucking pinky. Her body, her choice. Her body, her choice. Right. It's, it's just, if you're pro-choice, that that's part of her body. She should be allowed to do whatever she wants with it. I totally agree. I mean, in this day and age, I mean, you can you can go and take pretty much anything off your body if you wanted to, for that matter. I mean, yep. and again, go for it. It's a more power to you. It's all good. I don't see. I just don't understand why. I mean, if uh, I don't, did they say how old they were? I, that was the only 20, thing that twenty-seven. They said she was okay. twenty-seven. Yeah, you know, so I mean, if she was sixteen or something like that, if she's a minor, then yeah, okay, you got a case there because yeah. he probably influenced somebody or whatever. But really, I mean, she, that's her fucking choice, man, to cut it off. Because I mean, what if she would have cut it off herself? Would you charge her for reckless injury and mayhem if she yeah. did it herself? I don't know. And I think what it was is that, you know, with a machete, you can't quite get the angle to cut it off yourself. So you got to have somebody else do it for you. Yeah. If she's right handed and she really wants to cut off her right pinky, you need an assistant. You that's, know, that's true. You know, and then who's going to yeah. man the blowtorch? You got to have somebody to man the blowtorch. Somebody's got to man it. You can't blowtorch yourself. Because <laughs> that, that shit fucking hurts. Because, you know. Let's get serious here. You got to get somebody else to blow torch you. Yeah, because because <laughs> you know cutting your finger off is one thing, but setting yourself on fire is a whole other fucking animal. <laughs> what kind of fucking place is this? They got machetes and blow torches and all. It's yeah, like, fucking a man. This is definitely the Midwest somewhere, right? Where was well, this? Well, it's another another one of those houses that's just you know got like you know too much stuff in it. <laughs> you know, no. This is this is a no. This is a house with wheels on it. Is what I think it is. Uh, um, I, I think this is Wisconsin, if I remember right. Yeah, let's see. I think uh, WB. That's where this uh, news station is. It's up in Green Bay. So yeah, this is a, definitely a house with wheels on it. I think. So <laughs> ten bucks says that house does not have a fire extinguisher. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but it has a blowtorch. Damn it! It does have a blowtorch and a cigarette yeah. lighter. Uh, definitely a cigarette lighter. So. Uh, I admire this woman, and I think that, like, you know, you know, I'd be pulling a Wendy Davis right now. Get me the Wendy Davis sneakers. I'll stand in that court until they let this guy off because, you know, her body, her choice. Yeah. I love ICP. I mean, I barely listen to anything they've ever done, but I admire the amount of energy and admiration that comes from their fans for that band it is absolutely unmatched now people can insult these fans and call them stupid they can call them uh uh, uh boneheads you know what these are progressives these are are people who 
you know, they truly understand what it means to 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 have individual liberty and to to uh, you know have a passion for their for the art that they love. Yeah, I how do you not admire that? Well, you gotta, and also you know it's a, it's you gotta love them because it's it's a simple it's a simpler time and it's a simpler age when it comes to juggalo fans or, or to to juggalos. I mean. It's just a little bit different for for some of those people, you know. What I mean? Can I tell my quick ICP just, story? I'm just fucking around. <laughs> uh, you know. My ICP story, real quick. So, like we, years upon years ago, when I was a musician, we were touring the country. Whenever we would play a gig, because we didn't want to spend any money, and I'm a cheap ass, we would like see if somebody would put us up. And usually, the people in the audience that would put up the band are the people who want to throw a party with the band. But a, I don't party, and b, it's two thirty, three o'clock in the freaking morning. I got to get some sleep right so what i discovered was that like i you know you'd be, i'd be sitting on my, in the living room or wherever it was so i'm gonna crash out nobody's going away everybody wants to talk everybody wants to party so what i did was i bought this vhs tape uh called icp's strangle mania which is the greatest cinema in the history of cinema you got to look this up on youtube right so <laughs> icp took out the uh, voiceover uh, commentators from these like awful Japanese professional wrestling uh, uh, matches and then stuck themselves on as if they were sitting ringside and they just get hammered and they're <laughs> acting like they're the commentators for these wrestling matches and these matches have got like spiked bats and 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 uh, uh, barbed wire r- r- uh, rope and and broken glass and the whole thing. I would put this tape on in the middle of the house and it would clear out the party <laughs> and as soon as everybody's gone it would take about 30 to 45 minutes i just hit pause stop and turn out the lights i'm going to bed it was awesome i don't know i've gotten high and watched big money hustlers before big money rustlers before and that that shit will blow your fucking mind man oh you want to you want to have some fucking fun Seriously, like um, it, it it'll screw with your head. That shit, that, and that shit, money on that. that shit lingers, man. Oh, dude, you you know, because Juggalos, there there's a lot of them, man. I mean, they get like you yeah. said, they got a big fan base, man. They really, yeah, really but do. They're not like, do they still have their TV show? I don't know. It may be a web show now, but uh, yeah. but not like I've 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 looked at it. But yeah, dude. Oh man, it's like I just you know Geniuses. just googled uh, uh, ICP movies and the list is huge. Like uh, there's all there's all these. Oh, okay, yeah, this is crazy, dude. So yeah, it's um, uh, I can't, it doesn't surprise me that somebody cut their uh, finger off for uh, another Juggalo fan. I know Metal Sucks has got the article on the site. You got to go check it out. Axel wrote it. Axel's very dismissive of these fans, but let's be honest here. I'll bet you Axel has no idea how magnets work either. So, <laughs> hey, dude, it's a, it's a miracle, man. It is miracles, you know, total miracle. Oh God, that album. Never mind. Okay, don't even. I totally forgot about that. No, <laughs> you bring that up. Oh no. Oh, uh, it's this has okay. been fun, Chuck. Oh, geez, that's scary. It's so frightening. Uh, We love you, Juggalos. We really do. 
We need no, you. I, I, we need you out there is what we're saying. So yeah. you, you have every right to cut off one of your appendages. Please let it be something else so that you don't reproduce. Ah, yeah. get what I did there. I just, um, I just hope that that my adoration and admiration for ICP fans somehow gets onto some sort of like Reddit slash ICP thread because it's true and it's genuine and Strangle Mania is the freaking shit. Everybody's got to check that out. There's even a sequel. No, you are correct. I really do believe that that is that that is true. That ICP has got a set of fans that will do anything for them, and that is something you just do not find anymore in today's music at all. And you have you have plenty of passive fans and all this stuff, but these people are willing to go through hell and back to be juggalos. Whatever ridicule people will put on them, whatever anything you know, whatever people will call them, it doesn't matter. Like they 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 believe it. They're in it and it's part of it. And to inspire that kind of that kind of dedication is incredible. And nobody else has been able to do that in the last twenty years. So that's uh, kind of impressive. So I was going to say it's that. it's black metal with face paint, but yeah, well, think, <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? Not quite. I don't think. Oh, never mind. Oh well. Yeah. Except they're except they're burning buds, bro. They're not burning churches, man. It's totally different, man. Yeah, burning the uh, you know the, the the where the finger used to be. Yeah, right. Now blowtorch. Get the blowtorch. No. All right, let's wrap this damn show up, man. Um, let's see. Thanks to Richard Christie for being our guest this week, man. Great nice. interview. Good talking to that guy. Uh, so we appreciate that. Thank you guys for hanging in. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, you know, just search Metal Sucks Podcast. You're going to find us. Uh, you can find us at MetalSucks.net. Click the podcast tab. Go check out all 160-so episodes that we've got up there forever and ago. So we would appreciate you checking out the old ones. And find us on social media. I'm at Bearded Ape. I'm at Godless Speaks. Godless Speaks on Facebook and Spotify. And on Spotify, you can find me, or not Spotify, uh, on Twitch, you can find me at or it's Bearded underscore Ape. I'm trying to make everything sort of bearded ape-ish relative that way. So you can find me on Twitch. I'm going to start streaming it a little bit more. I had a problem with my machine. It's working out. And so that's going to start happening here uh, sooner or later. My SWOTOR and warships and other stuff like that. So hook up with me that way. And you can find us, of course, at Chuck and Godless on Instagram and ChuckandGodless.com. That'd be our Patreon. We would love to see you join us on Patreon. Maybe uh, contribute a little bit. You know, maybe tell your friends about it. Pass the word, you know. And, uh, and you know, let us know what you think. You can always give us a couple of stars and, or even uh, some kind of review wherever you find this podcast, even on the Patreon. We appreciate the back and forth. So we do answer our emails. All right. Till next week, I am Chuck. I am godless. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> this is another Metal Sex Podcast. Listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.